The Old Testament reading for our celebration of the Holy Trinity comes from the book of Proverbs, the 8th chapter. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, Before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. And this is the word of the Lord. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. For with the heart one believes and is justified. The second reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter, beginning at the 14th verse. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be 
The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for a sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. John, the 8th chapter. The Jews answered Jesus, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Question. How do you know God? It's a simple question. But for many people, it's not a simple answer. If you were to ask 100 people on the street this question, you'd probably get just as many unique answers. Some would say they don't know God, or he doesn't exist, so it's impossible to know him. Many would say that they can feel him, or they can sense him in their lives in some way. Some claim to know him through nature. Some would say simply by their conscience within which guides them. Some might point to a specific event in their lives where they saw God's hand clearly at work. Others would say they know him through the church. Well, in our gospel reading today, Jesus talks about knowing God, knowing the Father. He tells the people who are accusing him of being demon-possessed that though they say he is our God, they don't actually know God. And these are righteous, devout, church-going Jews that he says this to. These are people with strong religious convictions and zeal. People who are absolutely certain that they know God very well. But Jesus says they don't. So if they're wrong, how can we be so sure that we are right? How can we stand here today and claim that we know God? Because let's face it, knowing God is not an easy task. We can't figure out who God is on our own. So many people say, well, I just know God. You can't do that. You might know of God. You might see evidence that there is a God. But you can't know God by human reason. The nature of God simply does not make human sense. 
Today we celebrate the Trinity. Three distinct persons in one divine being. That doesn't make sense. We don't know exactly how this works. And yet we celebrate it. We confess it. The best we can do is try to draw some parallels as to how the Trinity works exactly. The interaction of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. St. Patrick used the shamrock with the three leaves who are all yet one plant. And if you remove one leaf, it's not a real shamrock. There's the illustration of fire. There's the burning, the heat, and the light. Some people have said it's like the universe, which is made of space and matter and time. People use the picture of the triangle. If you remove one side of the triangle, it's not a triangle anymore. It's a greater than or a less than symbol. All of these, though, are insufficient. And all the analogies break down at some point, And none of them can fully capture the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we can't figure him out on our own. We can't know what the Trinity means by our human reasoning. But the fact is, it's not even just the concept and the nature of the Trinity. Even the words of God are beyond us. In our gospel reading today, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Which probably makes English teachers and grammar people just cringe a little bit. You're mixing your tenses. How can he talk about the past and the future at the same time? How could Jesus possibly exist in two different times at once? And yet, he does. We're not going to figure it out. We're not going to be able to explain to someone. We're not going to be able to argue someone into faith by saying, but if you look at this and how this works and how time travel would work, no. We just don't know. And so many other parts of Christianity honestly don't make human sense. They're not logical. They're not things that we can understand and explain. How could God, who is infinite and immortal and eternal, take on human flesh, which is mortal, part of his creation, and finite? How could God die and yet still be ruling over all things? How could that death of God make any difference whatsoever for those people who rebel against him and hate him and despise him and, in fact, the very ones who killed him in the first place? How could Jesus rise from the grave of his own power when he was dead? Does any of that make sense to you? If it does, please let me know. Because it doesn't. It is beyond human understanding. It is beyond anything that we can explain. And yet, we confess it. Because the truth is, God, what he is, what he does, they are beyond our comprehension. We cannot sit down on our own and turn our smart brains and Google on and figure out or even hope to come close to understanding all that God does and all that he is. We cannot come to any conclusion that is close to the truth of God. His ways are far beyond our ways. We are bound by time and space. And so there's no way that we could comprehend him who is free of those things. 
Those are part of his creation. And he is above them, beyond them, outside of them. We can't understand God. And because of this, the world ridicules our Christian faith. Ha! How can you believe in something that you don't understand? When somebody asks you that question, ask them if they understand exactly how the brakes on their car work, and yet they trust their lives to it every time they get into it. Ask them if they understand exactly how even a simple elevator works, and yet they'll step into it and have faith that they will reach the third floor. The world can't comprehend that. The world doesn't want to believe in something it can't understand. The world says, how can you believe in something that goes so against human reason? How can we believe? How can we know God? Because it's not about what we can understand. It's about what God has said. Since our wisdom and our understanding and our logic are flawed and limited, we leave it to God, and we trust what he has said about himself. We trust his holy word even when it seems to be beyond us. We, like a good student, hear the teacher speak and say, I don't get it, but it's the truth because they told me. And graciously, graciously, God has revealed himself to us, even though we can't fully understand. God had no demand to do so. There was no requirement for him to tell us anything whatsoever about himself, and yet he does. Through his holy word, God reveals himself to us. In the scriptures, God tells us everything that we need to know about himself, and so, so much more. Now, the Bible, it's not what a lot of people think. We're not told the sum total of all human knowledge. The Bible is not like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We are not going to find schematics for a nuclear reactor in Hosea anywhere. And likewise, we are not told absolutely everything about God. Because for one thing, there's no way that that could possibly be contained in any book. But more importantly... It's not necessary for us to know. Our salvation is not based on our wisdom, our understanding, our cleverness, our human logic. If it was, we're in trouble. But thankfully, we are told what is necessary to know for our salvation. We are told that salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. God reveals himself as merciful and loving by sending his only begotten son. God himself came to us in our flesh, and we won't ever fully understand that. And yet it's the truth. And it's a truth that sets us free from the fires of hell. It's a truth that we cling to and we will fight for tooth and nail even when the world mocks it. God backed up his promise of salvation. When we first sinned in the Garden of Eden, God had every right to walk away, leave us to our eternal condemnation as we deserved. But instead, he made a promise that he would send the Messiah, that he would come to us to take away our guilt and to crush the ancient serpent's head. 
He delivered where we couldn't. We made all these promises to fix our lives. We made all these things of we're going to stop sinning. We're going to find a way to heaven. We're going to do it ourselves. And we couldn't possibly do it. But he did. Even though he had no legal obligation to. Even though he would have been no less holy, no less God to simply walk away from his sinful, rebellious creation. But instead, in mercy and love, he laid down his very life to give us that salvation. He suffered and died on the cross under the weight of his own holy law to take away the guilt of your sin. And he rose again from the grave to show his power over death and to give you not just hope but the guarantee of everlasting life in heaven. There on the cross, there at the empty tomb, we see just who God really is. He is a God who loves you more than life itself. He is a God who gave up everything so that you, a sinner, could be with him forever. He is a God who never gives up on you, never breaks his promises, never leaves you to the messes that you make for yourself. He is a God who loves each and every one of us personally, individually, to death. But he is not a God who is far off. Jesus Christ comes to us personally each and every day. In the waters of baptism, we were united with Jesus Christ. And he remains united with us, walking with us each and every day, forgiving us each and every day. In the sacrament of the altar, we come before God and receive his very body and blood, which is no longer bound by time and space, but comes to us by our mouths for us sinners to eat and drink and receive the forgiveness of all of our sins. Each and every day, Jesus Christ applies his precious blood to our lives to wash us clean of all of our guilt. Just as the Father and the Son are present each day of our lives, just as God reveals himself to be Father and Son, so too the Holy Spirit is with us, revealing himself to us. God the Holy Spirit gives us faith to believe those things even when we can't understand them. In each of our lives, just like the Father and the Son, God the Holy Spirit is present and he is active daily. He gives and strengthens our faith. Our sinful, rebellious, mortal hearts cannot know God and have no desire to know him. And so the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart, makes us a new creation through his word, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper. He comforts us in times of our greatest need. He strengthens us to proclaim the Trinity to everyone. In all of our sorrows, In all of our trials, in our pains, we know that God is with us because he promised as much. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort and strengthen and guide us. In all of our times of joy and laughter and celebration, we know that God is there because he has promised us. And he himself is the one granting us such happiness even though we don't deserve it one bit. And even when our last hour comes, just as he promised God himself is there, reassuring us that death is not the end. 
You know, the phrase that the Jews took issue with when Jesus was speaking in the temple in our reading is he said, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And they mocked and they laughed and they said, we know Abraham. He was the bad guy of perfect faith and we know he's dead. So do you dare say you're better than Abraham? Yes. Yes, he does. While this body will cease to function, while we will all lie down in the sleep of death, for those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, for those who look to his cross and empty tomb with God-given, scripture-based faith, death will be nothing at all. For this very body, created by the Father, redeemed by the Son, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, will rise again to eternal life in heaven. God himself will carry us in his loving arms to that perfect paradise. And there, in his perfect and holy kingdom, we will abide with him always. We will feast with him. We will see him with our own eyes. We will speak with him face to face for all eternity. Reunited with all those who have gone before us in the one true faith. This is not just our hope. This is what we know. Not because we figured it out. Not because we think we're better than everyone. But because God himself has told us and has given us the faith to believe even what we can't understand. We may not understand the nature of God, triune, three distinct persons in one divine being. We may never fully comprehend God, but we don't have to. And it's not up to us to figure it out. By his mighty power, we have been given faith to believe God. The one true God, the only creator and savior, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has come to us. He has proclaimed us to be free of our sin, and he has made us his own. He has humbled himself to come to us in our earthly flesh and has revealed himself to us. He has washed us of all of our sin. He has cleansed us of all our unrighteousness and he has made us his own dear children. It is he and he alone whom we worship and praise and adore. He alone whom we proclaim throughout the world and he alone who has given us life eternal. So how do you know God? By faith that comes from God himself. And why is that important? Because it is God and God alone who can and does save you. Because his eternal love has saved you, has set you free from sin, death, and the devil, and has made you an heir of his eternal kingdom. For by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to the one true and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.